Hey, we're going to be in, uh, in the book of John chapter 4 this morning, okay? So you can go ahead and open up there. Um, we'll be there the whole, the whole time. Um, like Brock said earlier, that this, this, uh, this word's been stirring for a while. It actually started a couple of weeks ago when, when Brock was, made all of us feel bad by asking us to recite a verse that none of you knew. You remember that? John 3, 36... And so I went back and I started trying to memorize this verse, and then I just went on to chapter 4, and I just couldn't get this passage out of my head, and I got so sick of thinking about it, um, because I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to say about it. And so last week I came in, and I thought I wasn't feeling great, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go with what I've got, and then God had a different plan. And wasn't last week a beautiful week, if you were here? I mean, the band, the, uh, the whole thing was just... It's, it's beautiful to see that it's not about you, you know? When you just get out of the way. I mean, I mean people came to Christ. It was just beautiful stuff. And so if, if anything like that could happen today, that would be a beautiful thing. Are you ready to go? John chapter 4? We're going to read a pretty good chunk of this. We're going to read the first 30 verses, and then we're going to skip down and read a couple more. But this is probably a pretty familiar story to most of you who have been in the church any time at all. You've probably heard this story before. And this is what the Word says. Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he, came to, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that jo- Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that He was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to Him. And then skip down to verse 39. Verse 39 through 42. And this is what it says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they asked Him to stay with them. And He stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of His Word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would point us towards its treasures. Um, help us relate to this woman and the encounter that she had with you. Father, could we all have a personal encounter with you? Um, and may it end like this, where many come to know you because of what you said to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you some context for this story, okay? I've already told you this is John chapter 4, comes right after John chapter 3, so if you want to know what the context is, where do you have to go? John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, at the end of that chapter, we find out that Jesus and his guys, and John the Baptist and his guys, are all in the Judean countryside. Like two different camps, and they're baptizing people, Okay? So good things are happening in Judea. John the Baptist is still doing his thing. Jesus and his boys are doing their thing. But then John's disciples come to John because they notice that more people are going to Jesus. And they say, hey, that dude that you were across the Jordan with, he, everyone's going to him. It's like, it's like, are we going out of business? And the response that John gave them was beautiful. It was beautiful because... This is what John said in John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Guys, the bride belongs to Jesus. If more preachers believed that, there would be less churches out there and more unity. The bride belongs to Jesus. I remember one of my favorite things I've ever done with Brock Tharp is we did pastor training in, uh, in Les Anglais, Haiti. And all these pastors were about this tall. I felt like a giant. I mean, I'm serious. I got a picture of me towering above these people, just buff as anything. Anyway, great guys, but they're all really, really skinny because they don't have food. And they walk like 20 miles to get there. And they don't like the belly pastors. That's what they call them. The pastors at the big churches that had the big bellies because they had the food, they looked down on these little, these little guys. But one of the things we taught them, a role of a pastor is not to be the belly pastor. 
It's not to be the face of the church. It's to be a friend of the bridegroom. And I told him the story. And analogies sometimes don't go over well in Haiti because you, you don't have the same context, you know. This one did, though, because I said Brock has a beautiful wife. Her name's Bethany, okay? And if I showed up at Brock's house and I tried to act like the bridegroom with his bride, he wouldn't like it, would he? And they all went, I don't know what that means in Creole, but you can tell me later, okay? I mean, it's like, they got that. Like, you don't go mess with somebody else's bride. Guys, the bride belongs to Christ. We rejoice greatly at the sound of His voice and whatever He wants to do, you do it, God. Make me less, make you more. That's, that was, that's beautiful. So that's kind of the context. But see, right after that, Jesus hears that the Pharisees have, n- have started taking score. They're keeping track of who's baptizing more. And so that's how chapter 4 starts. Chapter 4 starts, Jesus learns. Isn't that funny? Can Jesus really learn? I think he knows everything, right? But it says Jesus learned the Pharisees were, were keeping track and they were trying to make rivals out of him and John. This is what it says in the message translation of John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. So here's our context. This is where this story kind of takes off, okay? And let me give you some, some geographical information that, that kind of might be helpful here, okay? At this time in history, Israel was kind of divided into three sections, okay? There was Judea in the south, okay? So, so if you're thinking Knoxville, Chapman Highway-ish, okay? Judea, okay? Hall's Crossroads, Galilee. In the middle, Mechanicsville, okay? Is that context for everybody? It's like you kind of, to get from the lower part to the northern part, you had to go through a bad part, a part that people sometimes try to avoid, okay? So that's kind of the context. The middle part was called Samaria. So you got Judea, Galilee, Samaria is in the fat middle. And to get from Judea to Galilee, the most direct route was just to go straight up through. But Jews wouldn't do it. Because Jews hated Samaritans. Do you, ever, do you have a group of people that you just, for some reason, you just don't like? Like Alabama fans? Any, I mean, I'm just kidding. I, don't tell your dad I said that, okay? Don't tell. I hope you're not. I, Mr. Kennedy, I'm sorry. I was just kidding. Um, yeah. Anyway, racism runs deep in our country. I mean, our, our history is littered with people hating people that don't look like them. Well, why didn't the Jews like the Samaritans? It's because about 700 some odd years earlier, the Assyrian army came in and it took, there were like 12 tribes of Israel, right? They took like most of the northern 10 tribes hostage into captivity. And most of them lived in that area. And Assyrians sent their people in to occupy this land. But they didn't take all the Jews. They left some of them there. And the ones that they left there intermarried with these Assyrians. And the Assyrian-Jewish combination produced Samaritans. And the the rest of the Jews looked down on these people, called them half-breeds. They wouldn't let them even come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. They were outcasts. 
The only time a Jew would say the word Samaritan is if they were saying it like a curse word. Okay, so this is kind of the context of why Jews didn't like Samaritans. But Samaritans still believed in the first five books of the Bible. They still had the law of Moses. They were of Jewish descent, but they were told, you can't worship with us anymore. And so you know what they did? They changed the narrative. They took the truth and they started changing the stories to fit where they were in life. Now, this doesn't happen to us anymore today, does it? People don't change the narrative to, to try to twist around, oh, this is what God says, but this is what, I mean, this is, this is why I see it. Here's a couple of examples, okay? The Garden of Eden, in the Samaritan version, they said was in Samaria. A place called Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is a, is a real place. It's, it's right there. It's actually got biblical history. It's like when, when the children of Israel when it came across the Jordan River to take the promised land. Moses told some of them to go up on top of Mount Gerizim and pray a blessing over the people. And so they did. Okay, but Mount Gerizim is right there. So they, even though it said, we don't really know where the Garden of Eden was, right? But they claim it's on Mount Gerizim. Anybody remember where Noah's Ark came to rest? A place called Mount Ararat. Your kids would know that. Mount Ararat. Well, guess where the Samaritans decided that Noah's Ark came to rest? Mount Gerizim. The same place. You know where um, the Old Testament says that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice? Mount Moriah. You know what Mount Moriah is? It's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's where Solomon ended up building the temple, the same mountain. But guess where the Samaritans decided, well, the temple needs to be on Mount Gerizim. They changed the narrative to fit their life. Guys, this is dangerous stuff. This is called political correctness. It's called whatever's trending on social media. You hear something and you think, well, that's offensive, the way that the Bible... So we're going to change it. Guys, dangerous, slippery slope. Take the word for what, it's, what it says and don't try to rearrange God's facts to fit your life. Instead, let's bend our lives around His truth. Can we do that? All right. So, enough history. Let's get to the story. Jesus decides it's time to head back to Galilee. Okay, but... Most people, like his, I'm sure the guys with him, his disciples, they, didn't, they wanted to go around Samaria. The Bible says Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Because there was a divine appointment waiting for him in Samaria. See, it was about noon. It was hot. Jesus was tired. He was wearied. But that didn't mean this wasn't a divine appointment. Sometimes we get tired, we get hot, we're not in the best mood, and we think, okay, divine appointments are off the radar for today. Maybe, people, it's time for us to put our big boy pants on and walk straight into some things that we would normally want to walk around, believing that in that context, there's a divine appointment waiting for us. There was a woman that shows up at this well this well is mentioned in Genesis. It's mentioned in Joshua. 
It's a field that Jacob had bought and he'd given it to Joseph as an inheritance. And Jesus goes to this well. It's about seven-tenths of a mile or so outside of this little village. His, his disciples go into this village to get food. And he sits down by himself at noon in the heat of the day when women did not go to the well to get water because it was too hot. But this one woman shows up. And a divine appointment happens. I want us to just look at... There's six things I want us to just think about. They're, they're mostly in the forms of questions. Okay? I could, we could do a whole series on this one story about all the spiritual truths we can find in here. I'm not going to try to do that today. I just want to ask you some questions that might apply to you because I want you to put yourself in the place of this woman today. If there's anyone in this place that's without sin, you can leave now. If there's anyone in here that's not done something you're ashamed of in your past, there's the door. You don't belong here. You're too good for us. But if there are things in your life where you think, eh, maybe I could have done this differently. Maybe I could... Put yourself in the place of this woman. An encounter with Jesus that could have gone a lot of different ways, but it won't... One specific way. Six things, okay? I'm going to give them to you before we start, okay? Because that seems to be working. The first one is this. Do you realize who you're talking to? That's the first thing. Number two, are you asking the right questions? Number three, what well are you drinking from? Number four, are we dealing with the real? Are we dealing with what's real? Number five, what does it look like to worship in spirit and truth? And number six is a statement. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. So that's our outline, okay? So we're going to try to get through that here in just a few minutes, and uh, then we'll worship some more, okay? Do you realize who you're talking to? This comes from verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you living water. I love the song that Alyssa led earlier. It says, oh, my soul, remember who you're talking to. When you talk to God, who are you talking to? Do you remember? Or do you have the kind of mentality? See, I think a lot of times we approach Jesus so casually because we've been taught that he's a, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it's true. But Jesus is not your homeboy. I've seen bumper stickers and t-shirts that say that. He deserves more respect than that. He is the Messiah. The uncreated one. The one who spoke things into existence and he loves you. Do you realize who you're talking to when you talk to him? When you shake your fist at him, demanding a better deal, do you remember who you're talking to? See, this lady, she started out in verse, in verse 9. Her first words to Jesus were, why are you a Jew talking to me? So she starts by just calling him a Jew. It's like, you're, the, you're like not even like me. Why are you even talking to me? Ugh. That's how this thing started. Some of you are still in that stage with Jesus because you don't know Him. But you don't have to stay there. See, in one encounter with Jesus, she started saying, why are, 
you, a Jew, talking to me. But then in verse 11, she kind of, she says, sir, sir, you don't have anything to draw from. Sir, what does it say? And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Verse 15, the woman said, sir, give me this water. It's like there's a progression. There was respect building between this woman and Jesus. Maybe that's where you are. Like, you don't see him as the enemy, but you don't really know who he is yet. But, but he, he deserves some reverence. That's why people go to church on Easter and Christmas and no other time. Those are the sir people. They're, they're trying to be respectful, but they're not being worshipful. But it progresses. In verse 19, she says, Sir, I perceive you might be a prophet. It's like, no, you're reading my mail now. You know stuff about me. There is something more here. And some of you might be right there. But the last stage in her journey to recognizing who she's talking to was in verse 29 when she said, Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the chosen one? The one we've all been waiting for? She went from Jew to sir to prophet to Christ. Guys, that's the journey we all have to take. You can put your own words in it, but unless you end up at the Christ, then you don't have John 3.16. You don't have eternal life. Because it's only those who recognize Him as the Christ. Who are you talking to, people? He's bigger than we think He is, right? Think about the times in your life when He's shown Himself to be so much bigger than you could ever imagine. Who has He been to you? When you talk to Jesus, who are you talking to? Tell me. Come on. Some, some, what are some words that come to your mind that des- describe Jesus? I'll start. Uh, creator. Sustainer. Savior. Redeemer. Who are you talking to when you talk to Him? Please don't say your homeboy. He's so many things. He's the, Jesus is the name above every name. The only name under heaven by which men can be saved. That's who this woman encountered. The first question is, when you talk to God, who are you talking to? Do you realize who you're talking to? Tremble sometimes that He knows you and He still wants to talk to you. Second thing, are you asking the right questions? There's so many words in the world today. And you guys are probably listening to me saying, well, you say most of them. But I'm not on social media doing it, okay? There's so many, so many questions, so many subsidiary conversations, secondary things that don't matter. When we could focus on the primary, this woman liked to ask questions. She, she was asking a, a lot of questions. I'm not saying they were bad questions, but were they the right questions? Verse 9, how is it that you ask me for a drink? What are you going to draw water with? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem. She's asking all these questions. See, this is the deal. I think religious activity that's not founded in, in true worship just asks a lot of questions. It becomes really academic, but... I think we're really hoping to distract him. To hope that if we say the... Y'all know the Sunday school answers. 
right? I mean, there's always that one kid in the Sunday school class that always thought they had to have the right answer. There's, in math class, same thing. Any class, there's always that one person that the hand goes straight up. Are you asking the right questions? It's not that you shouldn't ask questions. But this woman was asking a bunch of questions, not realizing that it wasn't going to distract Jesus. It wasn't going to keep Him from seeing into her soul and focusing on what was really going on. Third thing I think we can learn from this woman is to ask ourselves, what well are we drinking from? See, even when He told her about the living water, she didn't get it. She's like, yeah, give me that. That sounds great. Give it to me so I don't have to come back here and drink here again. Jesus was not talking a physical water. See, anytime we drink something, we take something into our body, it meets an immediate need, right? But eventually, that need's going to come back again. See, in a physical sense, when we drink something, it's an ending point. Well, it's not really. There's some other stuff that happens later, but we don't have to talk about that right now. But it's an ending point. Jesus is talking about a beginning point. He's talking about giving us water that becomes a spring. What's a spring? It's a source. It's a source of something that goes on and on and on. Guys, Jesus offers us living water. Something that is not an ending point. It's a beginning point that's going to last through all eternity. What well are you drinking from today? They all, they, there's, I mean, you can describe them a lot of different ways. Materialism, that's a well people drink from. Sensuality and sex, that's, that's another one. Self-worship, just more about me. A lot of people drink it that well. It's like, oh yeah, just, just more about me. Pleasure, hobbies, possessions, you name it. What wells are you drinking from? See, this woman was going to be, have to answer this question. And Jesus was not going to let her just say the spiritual thing and just let her off the hook. She says in verse 14, Sir, give me this water. And Jesus' response to her was, is it 12.30 yet? Almost. Okay. His response to her was, um, could you get your husband? His response to her asking, can I get this water? He says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband for you've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. See, Jesus knew everything about her already. And notice He had spoken to her with kindness the whole time, even though He could have spoken to her with condemnation. He was offering grace. He does the same thing to you. See, are you dealing with the real? Or are you asking the wrong questions? When, when confronted with the realness of your own depravity, are you willing to face it and answer Jesus face to face or do you want to just ask questions to try to distract him? Because that's what she did. Are you dealing in the real? See, this is the deal. Hear me today. You are fully known by God. Every one of you, fully and completely known. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the worst stuff. 
the despicable stuff. And he sets his affection on us anyway. That's the definition of grace. You are fully known and fully loved by God. Deal with the real. So many of us get caught up in these lesser conversations trying to say, well, I can't really agree with you on that. And so I'm just going to... And we just do sidesteps. Are you dealing in the real? Fifth one, almost done. What does it look like to really worship in spirit and in truth? Have you ever, do you ever wonder, have you, I mean, how do you do that? Spirit and truth, both. I mean, it's, because, I mean, there have been times where I feel like I'm just swept away by, by a moment of worship. And then there's other times I'm thinking, I'm not getting it. Anybody honest enough to say it? How do, how do you do it? I love this translation, John 4, 21 through 24 from the message. This is what it says. This is another translation of Jesus talking to this woman about this issue. Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming, and in fact has come, when what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship won't matter. It's who you are, and the way that you live that count before God. It's not what you're called, it's not where you go, it's who you are, and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. You know what all that says to me? Just be honest before God. Deal with the real. Don't pretension. That's why... That's, I mean, although Colby looks really good in a tie, I'm not going to wear a tie. Because what was modeled for me when I was growing up was that was religion, right? It was that made you better than somebody else because of what you wore to church. Guys, you don't see that modeled. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it looks good on some people, but really, what's the point? It serves no purpose. It just covers buttons. How's that spiritual? I digress. Maybe I feel a little guilty for not wanting to wear a tie, okay. You must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people that God's looking for. You know He's looking for worshipers? The Bible talks about Him looking to and fro across the, across the earth, looking for people whose hearts are holy His. That spirit and truth. It's just about being honest. It's about authenticity. The, the Father is seeking people like this. I want to read you a, a quote from... This is Ken Geyer's book, Moments with the Savior. I would highly recommend it if you're looking for a, a devotional book. Um, it's, he's talking about this passage. And he says this about this encounter. It says, as her eyes meet the Savior's. 
He sees within her a cavernous aching, a cistern in her soul that will forever remain empty unless He fills it. Through her eyes, He peers into her past with tenderness. He sees every burst of passion's flame and every passion's burnt out failure. Yet to her, this nameless woman with a failed life, he gives the most profound discourse in Scripture on the subject of worship. That God is spirit and that worship is not an approach of the body to a church, but an approach of the soul to the spirit of God. A cutting revelation to one who's lived so much of her life in the realm of the physical rather than the spiritual. Because that's what worship in spirit and in truth looks like. Last thing, number six. Her declaration, her testimony. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's not, it wasn't an ending point. It was a beginning point for her. She didn't just take it in to keep it. She said, no, this happened to me. Come see this man who knows everything about me and loves me anyway. John 4, 39, the message translation says it this way. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside out. They asked him to stay on. He stayed on two days and a lot more people entrusted their lives when they heard what he had to say. And then they said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say so. We heard it for ourselves. We know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. Why would they listen to this woman? She had had five husbands in a little village. She was living with another one. And yet she comes back from this one encounter with Jesus and all of a sudden people listened. Some of you need to let that in. Some of you think, I've, I've made such a mess of my life in the past. Who would listen to me? I can't talk to anybody about Jesus. I mean, look at my life. This woman, could it be worse than that? Inviting others to experience the same grace that we've received is essential to the gospel. It's meant to be shared, not hoarded. Many Samaritans believed because of this woman's testimony. You know why? I think it's pretty simple. This is going to be deep. You ready? Because she was being honest. She wasn't being religious. She wasn't being pretentious. Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. He, he knows everything and loves me anyway. Honesty breeds authenticity. When you're honest, it means you're being authentic. And you know what people like? Authentic people. See, there's so many voices in the world today. They just get louder and louder, but they don't get honest. They don't get authentic. The only voices that should matter in our lives are the authentic ones. Who are you listening to today? Who are you listening to? Do you realize who you're talking to? Are you asking the right questions? What well are you drinking from? Are you willing to deal with the real, knowing He knows you already? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Just being honest. And when it happens to you, when you finally get it, are you willing to sit, go tell anyone who'll listen, hey, I don't know all the answers, but there's somebody who does, and I met him. 
Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would let us connect to this woman. Maybe not in all six of these ways that I've talked about. Maybe in totally different ways. But, but may we end up moving from seeing you as an enemy to just somebody to be respected to somebody who is maybe a prophet. But may we always get all the way to recognizing you as the Christ. Knowing that you, you set your affection on us on our worst day. And because of that, we're new. And we don't have to be the same. Lead us into truth, God. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Let's worship in response to